After experiencing the transformative power of a regular meditation practice, it's natural to feel inspired to share this gift and guide others on their own journey of discovery through meditation. Join Buddhist teacher David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell, comedian and creator of the Netflix animated series The Midnight Gospel, for a free online event on Tuesday, May 7th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. They'll discuss the profound practices of mindfulness Dharma Moon's renowned Mindfulness Meditation Teacher Training Program. Get certified by Dharma Moon to teach meditation, lead group practice sessions, and work with individual students. Visit dharmamoon.com slash beherenow for more info and to reserve your spot for the free online event with David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell. Welcome back to Mind Rolling Podcast. I'm David Silver along with... Raghu Marcus. Hi, everybody. And David, you're going to introduce us to our guest this today, this week. Our today, distinguished first guest. Day. Yes. Yeah, who's returned. Number two, we're doing a podcast with her again. I'm really pleased. Judith Orloff, Dr. Judith Orloff, MD, who is, as we mentioned last time, the assistant clinical professor of psychiatry at UCLA. But even more significant for us, she has a new book out with the amazing title of The Ecstasy of Surrender. Hello, good afternoon, Dr. Judith. Hello, it's good to be on your show again. Great to see you. How are you? All good? I'm, I'm doing great. I'm trying to surrender to all the busyness and um, the book tour that's coming up. <laughs> right, right. It's just well, it's just coming out the book. We should talk about this for a minute. When is it coming out, Judith? Um, this week. This week. Oh, yes. my God! We've been scoring. We uh, we just uh, had a, a lovely uh, podcast with our dear old friend Jai Utal, who has a record coming out this week. So we've got you with a book and Jai with a record. Uh, oh, all beautiful! Of, uh, beautiful offerings from both of you. Um, so, I, uh, you know. I just got to tell you something, Judith. The ecstasy of surrender, right? I don't know. I may or may not. You know that I, of my association, of course, with Ramdas. Yes. And David and I do these, uh, you know, there's retreats that we run in Maui and people come, you know, and hang with Ramdas and do these wonderful events. And uh, David and I uh, excerpt material and put these lovely little films together uh, around, you know, coalesced around a subject. And uh, this, uh, this past, uh, the one before December, what was it, 2012, the subject matter uh, was around um, faith and surrender and the film is called and i can't remember if i sent you this just came out and it's uh it's a little bit of uh, self-promotion here for ramdas.org but it's called cultivating intuitive faith and true surrender okay mm. and i think i mentioned it to you and i can, i don't know i i you know I'll, I'll make sure you get the link Thank but you. but the interesting thing and i know i didn't tell you this but in one part of Ramdas is going on describing what surrender, and we had a mentor of ours come from India, KK Shah was Ramdas's first translator with our Guru Neem Karoli Baba, 
And uh, he came back with an interpretation. He said, no, you all do not understand. What you understand as a, a, about surrender is not anything to do with what surrender is in the bhakti yoga tradition uh, in India. And so he came over and he gave a whole talk. I mean, you know, not a whole talk, but he certainly gave us the rudder by which we could understand, begin to understand about surrender. So, and I remember you and I talked about this some because you were writing the book sometime. You know, we were talking, and I said that's a perfect subject because so close to our hearts in terms of the tradition and so on and so forth. But anyhow, right. in one point with Ramdas, he said. Something like, David, you can correct me. Surrendering is so fun. <laughs> I think that's what he said. I love surrendering. And it's, it was so much the ecstasy of surrender. Just tell us, where, you, where did you get that? Because it, it is uh, truly in line uh, with our whole tradition. Yes, well, actually, the title came to me intuitively, where it just came to me in a flash, and I knew it was the right title. And I think Westerners are so separate from the experience of ecstasy or surrender that I wanted to put those together to show people how they can actually achieve it in daily life, not just in meditation, not just in esoterics, but in everyday life. I wanted to show how the ecstasy of surrender can relate to all kinds of topics such as success, intimacy, death, aging, illness. I want to show specifically and give readers tools specifically. How do you apply surrender, you know, if you have an illness or if you're in pain or if you're breaking up a relationship or if you're dealing with an energy vampire, somebody who sucks you dry, how, the, how can it help your communication skills? How can it help you in abundance? How can it help you in financial success? I mean, I believe surrender is the missing piece to success and love and, and ecstasy, actually, ecstasy. Westerners don't know ecstasy, but if you start with little tiny things, the ecstatic experience of surrendering to drinking water, allowing yourself to sip the water, um, the ecstatic experience of orgasm, the ecstatic experience of laughter, or going with a wave, you know, something like that. It's it's learning how to flow, not clinch. And I want to say in my own life, it's been my ongoing practice that challenges me, you know, every day. And it's my ecstatic practice. So I'm not sure I'm in total agreement that it's always fun. You know, that sometimes the universe has to beat your ego down to surrender. And then afterwards, you feel the ecstasy once that alchemy of, of the ego disintegrating happens, which is great. I mean, the bad part of the ego, not the good part of the ego. But. Well, in, in this case, Ramdas really got slammed with a major stroke and almost died. And Absolutely. You know, so he, uh, that's why he calls it fierce grace, because it, really, yes. it really did, absolutely. Okay, surrender to the bliss of love mm. and surrender to the experience of love and remove all the barriers that keep you from loving. I mean, that's the ultimate surrender and as a psychiatrist, I use surrender as a tool with all my patients. So I'm a psychiatrist. I'm also an intuitive. And so part of what I bring to patients and bring in this book is that, you know, my psychiatric skills, my traditional medical skills, you know, 14 years of medical training and, and my knowledge, you know, of that, plus 
intuition and surrendering to the power of intuition. And when you tune into intuition, it, it has to be a surrender. You can't sort of do it halfway because then you don't get into the flow. It's like watching a sunset halfway. You, you can't really do it. You have to either go in the river or not if you, if you want intuitive information. And so I bring the tool of surrender into uh, my psychotherapeutic work and teaching my patients when to surrender, when not to surrender. I'm not looking at surrender as defeat or weakness. What I'm finding is that as I'm going out on this book tour, the more traditional uh, media, they're saying, why should I surrender? It's failure. It's weakness. It's defeat. You know, that's how they look at it. You know, they don't have a context to see it in a right. larger sense. And so what I'm trying to do is redefine that and say it's not giving in. It's not weakness. It's more power in a different way than, than you'll ever experience and the bliss of letting go and, and not clenching and pushing and you know, and, and when people don't know how to surrender, what happens is they work really hard and become workaholics, and then their life go by, and they're on their deathbed, and they look back and they say, "Why didn't I experience my life?" Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. Sometimes in the book, you use the word "letting go" or "flow." I think it might be a touch easier for us—not you, but for people of my age, who in the '60s and early '70s that was an absolute central engine of our behavior and of our hopes and dreams, which was to let go and go with the flow. Now it's a silly cliche that people bring up ironically, but right, right. you do it so brilliant in this book, I might say, without being too obsequious. I want to say to you that you do it over and over again. You say, you just gotta, you gotta let go of all this stuff that's clenching you, as you put it. One of the things you do, you quote some Francis de Sales and you say, bloom right where we're planted. Bloom right where we're planted. Would you explicate that a little bit, please? I love that quote. And to me, it's the epitome of surrender. Um, it's to live your life as if it's as if it's the most beautiful spiritual experience in the world. And this is what you've been given. You don't want to compare yourself to other people. You want to bloom where you are planted. And whatever that is, whatever situation life has brought you, relationship, money, financial stress, you know, extreme success, you know, whatever you have, the whole variations of life, you bloom within that experience. And rather than wishing you had something else, you know, or comparing yourself with somebody you think has, quote, more than you. Hmm. Hmm. Right, right. So important, so central. You, you also say at one point, Surrender must be the engine that drives all choices about healing. That's a pretty yes. strong statement. Could you um, do some exegesis on that, please? Jesus, God. <laughs> Define every question before we can even... Well, I mean, exegesis meaning what do you mean by that? Yes, yes, well... As what I've learned as a physician and intuitive over the years is that healing is about flow. And it's not about clenching or resisting it, um, but it's about tuning into the flow of whatever you're given, whether it's psychic pain, whether it's physical pain, whether you're going through an illness process. To get in touch with that flow, then you can learn from it. It has an intelligence illness. And it's if you go with the flow of that, that's the engine of healing. If you resist, if you fight, um, it's going to impede healing. 
So what you want to do is try and go with the flow of the healing energy. And what stops that is fear. You know, all the negative stories or the scary stories you can tell yourself about, you know, the difficult experience you're going through. And I know when I was in Maui with Ramdas, you know, he, you know, so exemplifies, you know, how how to flow with what is, mm, you know, in, right. in terms of the physical. And, you know, to me, it was, you know, just an unforgettable experience to watch him and see his eyes, mm. you know, and you can tell everything from people's eyes, the energy of their eyes, and to see how his eyes, the energy of his eyes and the energy, you know, how he is flowing to the best of his ability with this. And when he got tired, you know, how he would take care of himself and flow with that. You see, if you're not flowing, you would be pushing yourself through the through the fatigue. You wouldn't have any joy. A lot of times when people get ill, they lose the joy in their eyes. And it's, you know, we're such multifaceted beings that we can be miserable and joyful at the same time. You know, you can go through a miserable experience, whatever it is, and still, you know, have that light. So surrender to whatever you're given in life. And Try to surrender to love and to the light, no matter what you're going through, and not surrender to darkness, you know, not surrender to anything that will take you down or other people down or the planet down. You don't want to do that. Just want to keep moving towards the light a day at a time. I mean, sometimes you can only surrender a second at a time. Sometimes life is so difficult that that's all you can do. Like in 12 steps, you know, the programs, they talk about surrendering a minute at a time so you don't drink and use. Mm. And that's beautiful. I mean, time is relative. It goes by so quickly anyways. You know, you want to get used to the flow of life like a river. And a lot of Westerners are more in, into simply ego, will, pushing, forcing. I want what I want, what I want it. And that's it. You know, rather than, you know, the surrender to spirit or the surrender to, you know, Ramdas talks about his guru, the surrender when we did the, the podcast, the webcast, you know, he talked about surrendering to his guru and surrendering to his inner wisdom. And it means letting go. It doesn't mean 10 percent. It doesn't mean 40 percent. It means the big breath. It means taking the leap of commitment to the moment. Hmm. That's, that's what I love about surrender. You know, I think, uh, you know, one thing, and we, we talk about a lot, and, and there's one passage early in the book that, uh, to me, is absolutely critical before you can even think you have any idea of what surrender really is. Because, uh, we're as you were just saying, surrendering uh, to the one, or to render, sur surrendering to the spirit. Yeah, surrendering to true mind, whatever whatever it is you want to call "quote unquote" reality, um, and uh, so the necessity of getting out of the vantage point of uh, uh, ego mind into the spiritual heart. And this is your this is a passage from the book. I'm just going to read. It's very short. The okay. li the linear mind may be an astute analyzer and sparring partner. But it can't do what intuition and the heart can. It can't feel anything or expand beyond logic. It can't fully know love, compassion, or unrestrained creative flow. It cannot experience a spiritual connection resonant in every fiber. Nor can it intuit that death is not the end. Our mind's tendency is to clench, 
to calculate, to protect, to fear the unknown and what's unproven. So I think that is, uh, is, is that not the crucial guts of, uh, of, of really being able to make friends with surrender would be one way of putting it, that you absolutely have to come into that place of, of the heart, spiritual heart, we would call it. Oh, I can't. I, I agree so deeply that that is the crux of the whole book, that you have to surrender to the heart. And when you do that, I mean, the mind is puny compared to the heart. The heart is huge. The heart is vast. The heart is the whole universe and beyond anything your mind can conceptualize. It's so large. And if you want to surrender to that feeling of bliss, the heart is the feeling of bliss. The heart is the hub of the healing energy. It's the feeling of bliss, and it's the place you want to begin and end in. I mean, that I feel absolutely strongly about. The heart is what you want to surrender to, mm -hmm. but there are barriers to the heart. And so part of the work in the, the surrender work is identifying what keeps you from your heart. And how you can surrender those old patterns of fear, of abuse, of sadness, of depression, you know, of low self-esteem, whatever. Now, all humans have a different variation of these patterns. So whatever yours are, to work with them lovingly so you can let them go and grow closer to the heart. That's the surrender. It's not always a straight shot to the heart. Mm -hmm. I wish it was, yeah. but it's not always. You have to encounter the blocks <laughs> and, and with good humor, hopefully, mm -hmm. and and work with the letting go of the blocks and, and the hard emotional work. I mean, as a psychiatrist, I really um, support emotional work. I know a lot of spiritual traditions don't put that much into that, but I do. I think freeing yourself emotionally allows you to surrender to the heart. And it takes enormous courage to look at what stops us from getting to the heart, our fears or where we've been abused or where we've been harmed, you know. And I just want to say to everyone, we're all human. We all have this. This is the nature of being human. And the courageous surrender work is working with what we've got, bloom where we're planted. And if we're planted in an alcoholic home as children, then that's what where you bloom, where you're planted, you you transcend, you understand, you you grow larger than that. And it, it gives me chills just talking about it because I know there's so much truth to what I'm saying. If people can accept, even though that the ego says, oh, I had a horrible childhood, it's unfair. And it is unfair, but that's not really the, the, the larger point. The larger point is bloom where you're planted and transcend with the spiritual material you've been given. That takes a lot of acceptance. Yeah, Dr. Judith, let me ask you, one of the things you you do in the book which is so really appealing is you talk about surrender with pain, illness, aging, and death. Now, let's just start with pain. Uh, it's very, I, and we get letters from people all the time on this podcast about various adversities that people are going through. What is your feeling about the success of that with your own patients and your own experience of surrendering to something that is just so difficult and that is physical pain or decay uh, can you relate to that and, and talk about how successful it is as a way of dealing with that adversity um yes it's one thing that's for certain if you resist pain it will make it worse so you know i think everybody just needs to know that if you're in physical pain and you clench it makes it worse 
If you're in emotional pain and you clench, it makes it worse. It amplifies it. All right. And so you're not giving into the pain necessarily, but you're breathing through it, which is surrendering to it. Very different than clenching or tightening. It's, it's just a physical fact that you'll amplify it if you clench and guard. And the way to decrease your pain is to try to work with the breath and relax through it as best you can. And then in terms of physical decay, I, you know, I, early on I did a lot of LSD in my teens, you know, and I'm, I'm glad that I did. I haven't done it since then. But I remember I once had an experience when I was like 14 in front of a mirror. And I remember seeing my body decay. I went from 14 to 24 to 44 to 94. And then my bones just all decayed like, you know, powder. So I, and I turned into a skeleton and then I was nothing, but still looking at myself in the mirror. Mm. And it was such a powerful lesson that mm. you are not your bodies, even if you totally 100% decay, you know, you're decayed, but you're still there. So that was really a useful experience for me so young, Mm. you know, to to have had that. But I I do think that that's the truth for all of us. And I think we'll, you know, know that for sure once we make our final surrender to the other side. I mean, it's different, sure, not being in a physical body. Of course it's different. But every night when we dream, we're there anyways. So, you know, it's, it's very synonymous to dying, except every morning we come back, if we're fortunate enough, to have another Earth Day here. Yep. Yeah, so uh, the idea of decay, I think, has gotten a bad rap, really. <laughs> Impermanence, too, doesn't get a good one either. No, it doesn't, but the thing is, you know, the, the great thing about me having had this experience early on was I saw I'm not my body, so relax, you know, it's all right. right. And plus, if people believe in reincarnation, you know, you've died so many times already, you know how to do it, so don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Yeah, in the book, you're ultimate on this, and it's appropriately, it's the end of the book, when you talk de- about death. And, you know, I've read, I'm obsessed with reading about death, you know, and I've been yeah. reading the Tibetan Book of the Dead for 50 years now, I think, and uh, many you other You should books. see uh, Dr. Judith privately in Los Angeles. Well, that would be lovely. But the truth is that in your, in, in the way you articulate this in the last couple of chapters, is really great because it really gets through and without dogma or, you know, esoteric stuff. You, you say things like this. You say, death is a surprise party. That orgasm, which the French call the petit mort, I think, is mm. of a small death. You talk about, and then you do, a, a, somebody asks you, what, what do I do when I'm dying? And what, what is dying? And, and you say, we don't die. Just simply like that. And, I, you know, I was very moved by your last chapter. Uh, the last chapter is about joy, but the next to last chapter is about death. And uh, again, back to your direct experience uh, with people who are passing. Uh, do people, are people able to grasp this and work with it at this most ultimate of moments in your experience? Um, you know, people deal with it totally differently. Like, there's this one woman I wrote about who... Um, comes from Orthodox Judaism, and the moment before she was going to die, she sat up in bed from a coma, said the Shema, which is the holy prayer, lied down and died. Mm. (laughs) I'm sure she didn't plan that, you know. (laughs) It was intuition that told her to do that. And I, I think, you know, a lot of 
a number of my patients over the years who are dying have a lot of fear about it. And so that's why in the book, I write a death meditation to take people into the experience of death. And I think this is very important that people experience this while alive so they can alleviate their fear. And once I'm able to do that with patients and they have a direct experience of death while they're still alive, which of course is possible, you know, dual, dual realities at once, um, then their fear lifts. So that's why, you know, everyone could read the chapter on death and go through the entering death meditation so that you can have that experience. And if you're afraid, just do it a little at a time. You know, people are always afraid if they do that, they're going to die. You know, and it's so not true. That isn't how it works. You know, you die when you're supposed to die and you have your karma here that you have to work out. So it's not that easy. You don't just get to die so easily. <laughs> you know, but I experienced, you know, uh, the, they, they need to experience uh, death firsthand. And I found that with my patients, when I can gently take them into the experience, I'm, I know I'm being a little cavalier about it. And there's a lot of fear around it that once they get the experience of the heart opening and the expansion, you know, they go, oh, you know, like I, I write about near-death experiences in the book and, and the research, the incredible research that's been done, you know, these great physicians who've been, you know, cardiopulmonary resuscitation specialists and who have had experience, you know, their patients have gone to the other side and come back and recounted their experiences. I think something like 13 million people have recounted almost the same experience. So, I mean, that yeah. tells you something. Yeah. <laughs> Some common yeah. ground. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, this is, it reminds me of the famous uh, th uh, saying from uh, Emmanuel, the uh, disembodied being who came through, right. uh, yeah, yeah. you know, uh, and, and told Ramdas in a session, uh, dying is absolutely safe. Yes. Isn't that great? Dying is absolutely safe. And and Karmapa, the sixteenth Karmapa. I don't. I, I, do you know who that is? The the uh, it's second is like second or third around the Dalai Lama. Uh, right. And uh, he was a, a Siddha. He was a he was like our guru Neem Karoli Baba. He was a fully gone gone beyond Siddha. And uh, when he, he would die, he was dying in a hospital in Chicago. David and I just did a podcast where we talked about this. He was dying in a hospital in Chicago, and his uh, monks were around him, and they were, you know, just absolutely beside themselves. And he looked at them, and he went, uh, nothing happens. <laughs> nothing happens. <laughs> so great. Uh, yes, but but I, there I is so that. much fear around it. It's, There's it's, so much fear. And the Dalai Lama was once asked about death, and he just looks and he says, just a change of clothing. Yeah. yeah. But it, it is true that people get very freaked out about giving up, up their bodies. I, I went through a thing when I was writing the book. About, it's just, you know, it's funny where we get fixated, where I, I was, like, upset about what would happen to my body after I died. And that what a waste it is, all this time I'm putting into health and wellness and working out <laughs> and looking good and, you know, and experiencing. All of a sudden, it's all gone. And I just got fixated on this, you know, that what's going to happen to my poor body, you know. And then I, I talked to a rabbi friend of mine, and he says, just don't worry. He goes, the body knows what to do. Mm-hmm. And I love that. Mm. I just love that. The body knows what to do at that time. <laughs> yeah. And you see that when you're with people who are dying. It's just yeah. absolutely the case. 
Um, yeah, I mean, you're in an altered state when you die. You're not in this everyday consciousness. So, you know, you, mm -hmm. you understand yeah. a lot more than what you do just going around in your life. I mean, but, you know, still you can understand more going around in your life. But let's say you didn't do that meditation, then you will understand more as you're about to pass over. Unless, of course, there's a violent death. That's another story. Yeah. yeah. No, you know, that's something, yeah. yeah. So uh, the ecstasy of surrender and it's uh, Dr. Judith Orloff. And uh, this is a, a very practical and uh, revealing book because it's a subject uh, that, uh, you know, people really have a hard time relating to in this culture, in the West. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, uh, by the way, do watch that movie. Uh, I mean, you'll uh, cultivating intuitive faith and true surrender and, and you'll see our friend and how he uh, how he uh, creates a completely new offering around something that we grew up in going to India and, you know, brought with us our understanding from such a Western point of view and, you know, which got a lot of people in trouble, right? You hear, right. But there's a lot of abuse happen, abuse that happens as a result of people's completely wrong, uh, wrongly defining some of these, uh, some of the terminology that's part of an ancient uh, tradition. So you, you're uh, giving us a little light here uh, is a great thing, Judith. Really appreciate you. And as usual, and uh, and you're going out. You're going to be out there for a couple of months, folks. If you're around, what? Where are you going? Give us a couple of highlights. Uh, well, I'm going to the New York Open Center. Um, and well, that's a uh, great place. People could. It is. It is. It's the New York Open Center um, coming up um, next in, next week, actually, or in a couple of weeks. And then I'm going to um, be in L.A. at Agape. And mm. I'm going to, yeah, I love, and Michael, Michael Beckwith, Beckwith will be yeah. there. And hopefully Ricky will sing a surrender song. Mm -hmm. So I'll be in Agape in April and I'll be in Atlanta at the unit, North Atlanta Unity Church. Mm. And, um, and I'll be um, in Boulder, Denver, which I love at the Boulder Bookstore and Tattered Cover. So the information is on my website, drjudithorloff.com, my whole tour schedule. And I, I so look forward to going out and talking about this. And I yeah. know there's going to be a lot of resistance among the more, you know, people who are not, have not thought about surrender. And, and I kind of embrace that. You know, at first mm -hmm. I thought, oh, this is going to be a difficulty. But then I thought, no. That's exactly why I'm doing it, you know, mm. for that sector. And by the way, everybody out there, if you can't meet up with uh, with Judith uh, at one of her stops, please go to, uh, well, go to mindrollingpodcast.com and go through our Amazon portal so and bookmark it so you can order Judith's book uh, through Amazon as a physical book or as a Kindle book and uh, help out Mind Rolling Podcast. That would be great and it's like two birds with one stone right dave absolutely you know i might add that um my ex-wife or one of them uh had not been listening, had not been listening to he still needs more help from you there's two things judith that you could help him with okay it's obviously relational and death those are the two two biggest things 
But one of them, who's the mother of my wonderful daughter, she said that uh, she didn't have time to listen to the podcast, and then she did, and out of all of them, and there were about 50 of them at that time, she chose yours, the last one we did with, with uh, Dr. Judith. And she called me immediately after and said, I will now listen to your podcast. Oh, my because, God. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and she's a smart woman, but she said uh, Dr. Judith's words on this show uh, really helped me. Uh, she goes through some medical problems and has some serious pain issues. And you weren't exactly talking about that, but I will say this to people out there. If you want to just get directly to the point and get some amelioration of some condition which is bothering you, you can read any of, of, of Dr. Judith's books, but this one... It's very comprehensive. You hear the word surrender, but there are tons of other things. How to read people, how to stop money making you crazy. All these sort of things are in the book. Highly recommend this book to all of you out there. And thank you, Judith, for doing this again with us. Judith, you need David to come along with you. I do need David. David, can you join me? (laughs) I'll do my best to come to the Open Center. Yes. Oh, Oh, right. You're in New York. He's in New York. Oh, David, yes, yes. Please email me or call me and let me know if you're coming. I will. Okay. Thank you so much for being Thanks. with us today, Judith. We appreciate you and uh, and and all success for the oh, book. Oh, thank it's you, an and I said thank you, and I I can't wait to see Ram Dass's surrender uh, piece. I can't wait to see that. <laughs> really, thank you. Okay, all the best, Dave. Thank you, and uh, go to mindrollingpodcast.com and see some of the blogs and everything else that's going on. We'll see you next week.